It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I think people are starting to realize that they're going to have to roll their own truth and do their own research and not believe anybody <laughs> and just triangulate around the truth. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Greetings and happy Friday to everyone. I hope you're all doing fabulously well. I am fine, uh, but I'm feeling positive. I feel like even with all the terrible COVID news, there's actually some also some great news. The mass vaccination campaigns are really starting to ramp up. My parents just got their first shots this weekend. You can just start to see the outlines of something, and I'm not going to say kind of back to normal, but something that looks a lot better than today, which is everybody holed up in their houses, banging their heads against the wall, going crazy, and, you know, some people will be losing loved ones, getting very sick, etc. It feels like... Hopefully, maybe we're, we're, we can start to see a corner that we're going to turn. But anyway, I hope, my hope, is that this podcast provides a welcome distraction from the monotony. And I am certain that this week's episode will do just that. On the program, we have Jason Kalkanis, a repeat offender here. Now, Jason, of course, is very well-known uh, angel investor out here. He hosts not one but two podcasts. He has This Week in Startups as well as the All In Pod, which are both a lot of fun, very different, but uh, you should check them both out. And I wanted to have Jason on because there is something happening out here that is really, really interesting. Tech, both big tech, small tech, uh, has decided that it hates the media. And unlike, say, the oil industry or finance, the tech industry actually has the wherewithal, the technical expertise to fight back, uh, to create tools, to create alternatives to, you know, traditional media. Obviously, they've been doing that for a long time now, but it's kind of taken on a new form recently, and that's what's happening right now. So the most prominent example, of course, is Andreessen Horowitz, uh, the big VC firm. They just recently announced that they're launching their own standalone media company. And what they want to do is become the go-to place for what they say, you know, to learn about the future. Uh, the implication, of course, is that they don't trust the media to tell their stories anymore. Uh, they'd rather do it themselves. Now, it's worth bearing in mind that they uh, are backers of companies like Coinbase, which has had some coverage around, you know, how they 
treat some of their minority employees and that whole world. And there's been a lot of kind of controversial stories for companies that they back. And this is what they're doing. So they're hiring a whole editorial team to create this new media kind of property. And they're testing out a lot of these concepts that they're working on on Clubhouse, which is the audio app, of course, that they're the biggest backer of. And anyhow, it's just a fascinating time. And I called Jason because I was listening to that, a conversation he, he and his besties had on the most recent episode of the Ellen Pod. And these are four very successful folks out here in the tech industry. And they were all talking about how much they despise the media and that they just didn't trust journalists anymore. As far as they were concerned, that it had kind of turned a corner in a very bad way. And they just come to the conclusion that journalism is not operating in good faith when it comes to the subjects they cover. Um, and so they've basically felt it necessary to use their own channels to get their messages out, to ignore the press and basically do an end around. And they're not outliers out here. Um, so I wanted to bring on Jason just to talk about that. Now, spoiler alert, we don't solve the world's problems in 40 minutes, but we do have a good spirited debate and I think you'll enjoy it and of course because it's 2021 and Trump is still around we start out with a little bit of Trump because I think um, you know this is the week that his impeachment trial in the Senate began and there's some stuff that we talk about around his deep platform which I think is super interesting from a business perspective and then of course we also talk a little bit at the end about Robin Hood in which Jason is an investor so overall there's we cover a lot of ground I think you're really going to enjoy this one so I'm going to stop talking and I give you now, Jason Calcanis. Enjoy. I've seen I've seen your very hopeful um, tweets. tweets. Be like, yeah, my wife is like, it's really happening. Is, it's really happening. <laughs> my wife is like, this is not your brand. Why are you tweeting? It's like too negative. I'm like, it's hopeful. She's like, it's not your brand. Don't do it. I'm like, when did you become my manager? I don't even know you read my tweets. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of tweeting. I saw a tweet you did, and I was like, Uh-oh. I want to talk to Jason about that. And then that was probably two weeks ago, and, and then the world has continued to be really interesting. So there's a couple other things that came up. So there's Trump, there's Robin Hood, and there's the end-around media that is happening sure. right now. I'm willing to talk about it all. Awesome. As you would be very surprised to hear. I'm shocked. Um, <laughs> so the first one, which I thought was really interesting, is... You know, today the Senate impeachment trial is happening. You've we're awaiting with bated breath this Facebook oversight board decision around what they're going to rule on Facebook, whether it was right or wrong to deplatform Trump. But the idea that you tweeted about was just like the lost revenue around Trump getting kicked off Twitter and these other platforms. So can you just talk through that? Because I th- you can't, you threw out quite a big number, and it's kind of boggles your mind, but then you sit down and think about, well, maybe that's not crazy. So this is a great question. If you look at a social media following, if you look at journalism, book publishing, music, any endeavor, the gatekeepers now will determine your advance and your pay based on your social media following. So if you're a Kardashian and you want to start a fragrance company, you will be able to demand a huge advance and huge terms based on your following. This doesn't surprise anybody. Now you look at journalists, you know, someone like Kara Swisher, uh, who's a friend, and I've been on her podcast many times. She does Sway for the New York Times. She was working at Vox, which bought Recode. 
and I would guess that she gets a million dollars a year for doing her podcast because her podcast has got to make three or four million, right? Easily right. could make 50K a week in advertising. And I'm sure she can command half of that revenue. So, you know, 500K to a million dollars is probably from both of those companies, what she makes. You know, my podcast, This Week in Startups, makes two million a year as an example. Right. So I think hers makes a similar amount, probably exactly the same amount since we're probably similar in the rankings. So if you look at Trump, Trump had you know, almost 100 million members on Twitter. And between all of his other platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, you're talking about a quarter million followers pretty easily, right? Yeah. And I would say that represents, each of those followers represents about, uh, I'll pick a ballpark number, 10, 20, $30 a year. Now, it's not that each one of them is going to spend 10 or 20 or $30 a year following yeah. him, obviously. But there are some who might spend a quarter million dollars on a... Uh, Mar-a-Lago or other golf resort membership and spend, or somebody might have their wedding at one of those places, or somebody might buy an apartment, yeah. or somebody who wants to do a Trump Tower in another country that still has an affinity for him. I don't know how many are left after he, after the self-inflicted wounds that he did, and he basically blew up his own career. Yeah, but I think it's billions of dollars worth of future revenue. So if you if you just said it's got to be hundreds of millions of dollars a year over the next ten years. That's a couple of billion dollars in lost revenue, easily. Billions. With a B, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. $100 million a year for 10 years is $1 billion. Yeah, there, yeah. there is no conceivable way that that following was not worth $100 million a year, especially if he were to launch companies with it or raise money with it. You know, I have a, a modest following of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Now, this is a very important group of people. They're business leaders in tech, yeah. venture capitalists. Uh, and with the podcast, it goes into the tens of millions. So, you know, that generates millions of dollars of revenue a year for me and also gives me the ability to start funds and invest in them. So he basically threw away, I would say, conservatively a billion dollars. I would say that's a conservative estimate of a billion dollars of future revenue. And so getting it back, I think, is more important than whatever happens this week in the impeachment trials. In other words, if he could be impeached and banned for life from politics mm. or whatever, and whatever sanction they give him is a fraction of the sanction that Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook give. And all he cares about is money and his ego, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And how is he going to sell Trump steaks when you know he's basically shut out of all these channels? But what's, yep. that's, what has been so fascinating, which I hadn't quite realized, his effect, you know, the waterfall effect of him being on Twitter. The absence of him on Twitter is stark. I mean, just the change in tenor of everything is so amazing without him being around. His effect on kind of the conversation was much more profound than I had realized. I don't know if you've had a similar experience. The amount of energy and cognitive load that he inflicted on this nation and the world is absolutely crazy. And it's an important lesson for people. You know, we, we allowed him to live rent-free in our brains yep. for these four years. And many people I know, not just people with Trump derangement syndrome, but just people who are trying to make their way in the world and this entire, what is he going to do next? What is he going to do next? Which he basically stole from Howard Stern has been just absolutely liberating. And most of my Republican friends and GOP friends, they actually appreciate that this is not going on anymore because there are big problems. You might not have noticed, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. And when this idiot self-absorbed narcissist. I apologize to people who are fans of his, but he's an idiot uh, for doing what he did on January 6th. And 
he knew what he was doing. Sorry if anybody thinks he didn't, but it's it's pretty clear. And all of this was a grand distraction. We lost the time in November from when the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines were uh, deployed until he got out of office on January 20th. Those two, three months, I think it was exactly two months, actually. Yeah. Those two months, those 60 days were critical. And he was not focused on deploying the vaccine. And then you look at what's happened since. You know, we hit 1.8 million vaccines in a day in arms. And if we keep it up at that pace or with the new um, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that's going to come out in late March, I think, into April. Now we could be seeing three, four million. And I was just listening to one of the experts who said, you know, uh, Gottlieb, who is on the board of Pfizer, and he, he seems to think that we could be walking up in mid-March, end of March, to anybody getting a vaccine. In other words, we could get to 3 million a day. That could have been happening during those 60 days when he was running these crazy conspiracy theories and wasting all our time and, you know, essentially being a party to the murders and deaths that occurred on January 6th, uh, which were super tragic and not spoken about enough. So now that he's gone, I think we can focus on other things. Yeah. <laughs> like the recovery, like the pandemic, like the mutations, like jobs, the economy, perhaps global warming. And I think that's the silver lining is we're going to realize we recaptured all of that from being in this dysfunctional relationship. One of the other things, obviously, is the thing out here is Clubhouse. It's big. Very big. It feels like there's a moment here. But I was I was thinking about that in the context I was listening to the All In pod, which I'm sure everybody oh, who listens to the pod listens to that one. And you guys were talking about um, media and yeah. the word hate was thrown around a lot. We, I hate the media. I hate the media. And this idea of like, you know what? The journalists are dishonest and they're just trying to screw us over. And so screw them. We're going to go direct. If that, and if I think that it was means... a more nuanced approach than that. But I, <laughs> you're taking a little bit personal, Danny. No, no, I'm not That's taking it That's not what we said. It was much That's... more nuanced. There was a lot, a hate was thrown around a lot. And like, yes, um, it's a conversation amongst buddies. But I was taken with this idea of like, there was some real kind of like, you know what? Journalists are just out to screw us. And we think what they're doing is dishonest and the motivations are have been corrupted somehow. And there is, I mean, it's not what you guys were just saying. It's also, you know, Andreessen Horowitz is launching their own media operation. Yeah. Which Did they is, make you an offer yet? No, they have not. It's coming. <laughs> to to basically tell their own story, you know? To go direct, Yeah, I think, is the view. So I, what I would encourage you to do as a journalist, and listen, I spent the majority of my professional yes. career as a journalist. Well, this is also why I wanted to have you on, because it was yeah. just, it does feel like the dynamic here, and you, I will posit something, and then I'll, I'll want to get yeah, your reaction. My theory is that, you know, for years, tech was given a pretty easy ride and it was like because it was doing all this amazing stuff and like we weren't you know alive to and it wasn't as pervasive as as it is now and we weren't as alive to the kind of the underbelly and some of the negative things that tech brings with it so now tech is being covered like any other big industry i.e there's a very critical eye to a lot of aspects of it and I feel like a lot of people are being crybabies and they just need to grow up and be like, you know, you're the strongest force in the economy. You're going to get scrutiny. Okay. Yeah, that is a very self-centered um, <laughs> view of it. If you open up and listen 
a little bit better, Danny, mm -hmm. uh, to the subjects and what they're experiencing. And I think you happen to be a pro, uh, but your contemporaries are not always that way. And here's what the experience is like on the other side. And you are right. There was an enthusiasm for tech when yes. it was boutique and it was aspirational and we were going to change the world and information wants to be freed. Let's call it the wired era, right? Yeah. It was a hopeful era. So the wired era of journalism was, you know, and, and I was part of that with my Silicon Eye Reporter magazine in New York. It was very world positive and aspirational and hopeful. And then, you know, companies hit scale. And I really think Zuckerberg and Facebook was responsible for a lot of this because he is amoral and only cares about growth. That's my personal belief. Right. And so I think he's kind of a bad actor, even though he might be a good person, he might be a bad actor in how he behaves at work. That's why he's gotten the largest fines in the history. And yeah. he doesn't really care all that much about where the chips fall. He just wants to move stuff and break things. Yeah. And maybe he's matured a little bit, but you know, it's basically culminated with him breaking democracy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I can understand people being pissed off about that. But when you're the subject... You know, this is a, is a much more nuanced discussion. When I was in journalism, we were given a lot of time to file our stories, and we were told to not come to the story with a headline, but to talk to as many people as possible and just tell the story of what happened and take it straight down the middle. Yeah. And then what happened in journalism was journalism lost all of its revenue from classifieds to Craigslist. It lost all of its advertising to Facebook and Google. And then the layoffs started happening and the workload on journalists increased and it continues. And the investigative journalism department, which would spend months on a story, was disbanded and people were asked to write short things and there was no time for fact checking and in some cases editing. And listen, I was also part of that medium period, the blog era, mm. where Engadget and other blogs, we started at Weblogs Inc., which we sold to AOL. That company was doing 20 stories about the new iPhone when Walt Mossberg was doing one. Yep. And so we would beat him on SEO, we would beat him on social, we would beat him on community, and we would have a magnitude more traffic to our iPhone stories than he would to the Wall Street Journal stories. Right. And so that led to people going faster and content farming and all this kind of stuff. So you put all this together, the people who are subjects yeah. and really feel like they're not being treated fairly, and then something really terrible happened. Do you write your own headlines for your stories? I do not. Got it. So this is one of the big breaks. And how many times in your career has somebody written a headline that did not align with the story? Uh, well, so that's an interesting question. I would say... You're being diplomatic right no, now. No, no, no. So I'll, I'll explain. So I would, maybe half the time, but... That's the, an incredibly honest answer. But our process, and again, maybe there's a distinction here, which you're making, which is, you know, we are still a kind of an old school newspaper in many ways. And like, I'm not back in HQ, but when I was, before we go to print, everybody stands around, we all talk about the headlines and we change them and be like, no, that's wrong. Let's, it has to be this. This is the message. This is the thrust, etc." So there was a process simply around headlines, let alone the whole editing process. Right. And now the process around headlines, you, you and I both know is they are done by a group of marketers, maybe not at your publication, but at most, they're done by marketers in order to get clicks, and they're even A-B tested and multivariate tested to see which ones get the most clicks. What gets the most clicks? Outrage, sensationalism, and other techniques. And I know these techniques because I was part of the people who created the playbook. You know, five top things about this person or this technology, you never know. Listicles, et cetera, yeah. And so 
Then you're the subject. Now imagine you're the subject of a story. You see some bullshit headline that the writer says, I didn't write it. And then you never got called. There was never a fact check. And then they did this crazy thing where they all copy each other's stories for facts. So these young journalists will find 10 stories. They put them into their story as facts, knowing full well that those authors never did fact checking. But because it was in a New York Times story, because it was in a Wall Street Journal story, it was because it was on Vox or Recode or whatever, it's gospel. And they can link to it and use that brand's cachet to say, and this person, you know, and that's why you have to go fight to go get these things corrected. And then people have basically given up on the fight because it feels like what we do doesn't matter. And then every time a journalist calls me, it's about bad news. Tell me about mm-hmm. this bad thing that happened to Uber. Tell me about this bad thing that happened at Robinhood. Tell me this yeah. bad thing at this company, this company, this company. And then I say, I can comment on that. Would you be interested? And I just do this to troll the, the journalists. I say, would you be interested in any of these four world positive stories? I've done it with you. Are you interested in these? And, and uh, nobody's ever taken me up on it. Nobody's mm-hmm. literally ever written about any of the world positive investments I've made in technology. Uh, and that's because the audience No one loves has to- ever written a positive story about one of your companies. Um, that I'm trying that to think of a headline that was, true. That no, no, when I, true. when I pitch them one and I say, Hey, here are some positive ones. And I would say, so, but I'm just trying to give you the experience of your subjects. Yep. Imagine if 10 out of 10 times they were calling you cause it's bad news and 10 out of 10 times the headline didn't represent you. And 10 out of 10 times you didn't even know you were going to be in and there was no fact checking after a certain period of time, you feel like there's no reason to engage. And so subjects, whether it's Elon Musk, or the besties on the All In podcast, mm-hmm. or Andreessen Horowitz, have realized, wait a second, we're the act here, not the journalists. We can go direct to our audience. So if we're not going to be treated well by Vox or Recode or BuzzFeed or whatever, we could just build our own channel. And my podcast, This Week in Startups, and my podcast, All In, yeah. are two of the top 10 tech podcasts. And mm-hmm. I get more viewership from them than almost any news outlet could ever give me. And mm-hmm. so why would I ever talk to another news outlet when I can talk direct? I talk to you because I kind of like you and yeah. I feel like you, you're you kind of an interesting person and you're fair. But I do feel like a lot of, and, and that's what keeps happening. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't speak truth to power. That doesn't mean there aren't important stories to write, but it is the percentage of bad to good and it's the process. And I don't Necessary. I understand why journalism is having this challenge. It's because they're of the lack of funding. Now you add to that, there's one more piece that gets added. If you pick a side, you get more paid subs. So if you go woke and, you know, or super woke, like the New York Times did at a certain point, and anti-Trump, and you just fire everybody from the editorial page who is conservative, Barry Weiss, the editor, whatever, and you just take that stance, you get more paid subs. And just like Daily Wire and you know, Ben Shapiro get more by being even further right. And anything written down the middle, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or wherever in your publication is going to get less clicks. So the tribalism has hit journalism and it drives paid subs. And we all see it and we all understand the business models. And so a lot of subjects are saying, you know what? Late stage journalism is not worth the trouble. We're out. We're going to go direct. Late stage journalism. It's a term I came up with to describe this moment. I know. So what is that? Because what I'm trying to figure out is like... It's the end of the glory days of journalism when people respected these publications as being arbiters of the truth. And that's ended. I think most people... I mean, if you look at trust in journalism, 
and trust in the media, it's at an all-time low. Some of that is Trump saying it's fake news and it's unfair, but some of it is based on the trends I'm telling you, which is the lack of resources, the lack of fact-checking, the link-baiting headlines, and the picking a sideism. Even the new, even CNN and the New York Times picked a side because they saw Fox and NBC mm-hmm. doing so well picking a side that they just said, you know what? We have to pick a side. We cannot go down the middle because going down the middle means we don't get paid subs or advertisers in the same way. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, what's one, one of the interesting things that a lot of people are talking about, because we, uh, I had Chris Best on, from Substack on here uh, about a month and a half ago, and you know he's getting a lot of disaffected journalists or people who are like, oh, I can make a bunch of money just by doing a, a subscription newsletter, et cetera. And people who felt they were censored by their own publications. Yes, yes, like uh, Andrew Sullivan and others. And Glenn Greenwald. Interestingly, two gay white men who are conservatives, I think. Yeah, I, I I can't. It's hard for me to place what exactly Glenn Greenwald is. He just he is an enigma. He, you place him in the enigma the, column. Yes, very much so. <laughs> very much so. But one of the, the one of the issues is a lot of people say, "Well, you guys are just going after subscriptions now," which of course is a reaction to all of these things you're talking about. Of like, well, you know, survival, survival as a business. But it's also it's not particularly new. I mean, publications have mm. have sought subscriptions for a long time there was a glory day though when subscribing to the new york times subscribing to the new yorker you know donating to pbs and public radio yeah you were doing that and you felt really good about it you were doing it because you cared intellectually about the truth and now it's more tribalism and the people who are unsubscribing for the new york times and subscribing to the wall street journal vice versa are doing so because of the pick right and i guess that's what i'm trying to parse out because i think there is definitely truth to the tribalism and it's everywhere and i totally agree with that but also i do feel like because tech is so big and so powerful now and as you know you're you invested in robin hood it's kind of this blown up into this massive thing when you get scale you get scale very quickly unintended consequences yes but you know what it's interesting you you immediately went to tech danny and you didn't do any self-reflection on journalism so what's your take on my position on journalism? What could be, this is what journalists need to mm-hmm. do because they always do what you're doing right now mm-hmm. is they immediately deflect 
I feel like we're in couples therapy. <laughs> You're immediately deflecting, Danny. Tell me your truth. Tell me your truth. <laughs> Tell me your truth. I'm going to create a space right now. Will you we're let me the, finish, we're Danny? We're in the trust tree. This we're feels the like the tree. marriage story fights you. I know. But take a moment to think about the position I outlined mm-hmm. and what can journalism do to address link baiting, lack of fact checking, and how subjects feel about them. Because these are not invalid feelings. These are very valid feelings based upon the experience of the subjects who are saying, if you're not going to represent me correctly, I will just build up my direct connection to my audience. People do not want to build up this direct connection and build up a media channel. They would much rather have you guys do it, gals, and everybody in between, just do it like the old days where we just Mm. felt comfortable talking to you. And you amplify it. And we trust you to be fair to us. But we don't feel you've been fair to us. So what... Danny, is true about what I'm saying and relating to you, if anything. So, like I said, I feel like the tribalism has infected large swathes of journalism. However, on a personal level, and like the journalists I know, and I know a lot of journalists, obviously, a lot of these conversations get to this point where they're like, well, journalists are just, you know, they're just out to get me or whatever. And like, you know, you're a former journalist. You're after a story. You're after a good story. I've never been like what's the headline get on this one going to be? Or what's my SEO, you know, how am I going to capture the most clicks? Like it's not... That's probably why you're not paid as much as <laughs> the leading journalists. Maybe. Because if you did, now think about the perverse incentive. To get more followers, if you were like Taylor Lorenz and you were starting fights with people and you were outing people for, you know, incorrectly outing people for saying the R word in a context. She did. She did. I saw she tweeted an apology on that today. Oh, did she finally? Yeah, today. Yeah. She uh, has been doing this like victim status and slandering people for a long time. And everybody in the tech business is like, this person is not credible. And they're destroying the New York Times brand and acting super immature. And, and they probably do some good reporting on, on the margins about TikTok and whatever. And that's valid and a good story. But, you know, I think that generation wants to do opinion pieces mm-hmm. and they actually see, I think somebody like Taylor sees venture capitalists and capitalism as a bad thing. I think she is actually anti those people. I mean, I don't know, Taylor. I have no idea. I've, from what I've read of her stuff, it's, you know, it's on TikTok and internet culture and all that stuff. She's, she's far out ahead of most other people in terms of being on top of what's happening out there. So I think it's, mm-hmm. what she does is generally super interesting and well done. But anyway, she's going to get paid a lot more than you because of what she does. Sure. And so think about that. Journalism is now a popularity contest. Your salaries, she will get paid twice as much as you and- Kara Swisher twice as much as her based on followings. Is that the way it should work? I mean, I'm just trying to... You may not think about traffic, but all of your contemporaries who are surging and getting paid twice as much as you, four times as much as you, they are. So that's the race you're in. And that's the the late stage journalism I talk about. Right. And I guess so. So let's just put a pin in that for a second. So where do you think this is going? I think it's going to all collapse. Honestly, I think it's going to get worse and worse. I think that Late stage journalism is circling the drain and it's going to be more painful before it gets better. And I think what will happen is I think the Andreessen Horowitz publications and Substack will pick off the best journalists and they'll underwrite them. And it's going to be kind of like a boom bust cycle, you know, like where on a Darwinian basis, like things have to crash and burn a little bit. And, and that's kind of the uncomfortableness we're living in right now yeah well that's what that's kind of the, it is a very uncomfortable place at the moment because yeah. everybody's just pissed off at each other and I, when i was thinking about the andreessen thing like i just don't know how many i mean again i guess it depends on how they pitch it but if you are vc i'm going to set up my own media organization that feels like you're basically going to be writing press releases and that's most journalists 
that gives them the heebie-jeebies. Like they don't want to be a corporate shill. <laughs> uh, well, I think what's I think what's going to happen is you're already becoming corporate shills because of the fact that the social media department is writing your headlines and that the more outrageous and outlandish and the more woke or pick a sideism you do mm-hmm. and the more followers you get, the more you get paid. So you're actually soaking in that phenomenon right now and actually working at a venture capital firm that starts a publication, you might have even more independence. That's going to be the funny moment of this uh, is <laughs> it might actually be that doing the corporate journalism thing, these things might actually then compete with each other and I be indistinguishable to this next generation. Because I, I meet a lot of young writers and I hire them for inside.com and I, I stopped hiring journalists because journalists over and over again wanted to insert themselves into the story and their opinion and take down Trump or take down this or take down that. And they wanted to like make this cause-based. And I said, I'm looking for research and I'm yeah. looking for data. And they just, to be honest, they weren't up to the task and they didn't want to be up to the task. Mm. They wanted to dunk on somebody. And so what I started doing is I just look for MBAs coming out of like Canadian schools and other places and I just hire researchers and it's going much better. It's easier for me to teach a researcher and an MBA how to do journalism than to teach a journalism and convince them that I want them to do actual research and data and tell a story straight. So I've just changed my whole approach and it's working. And I guess the last thing I'll say, because I don't think we're obviously going to agree. Nor are we going to solve it. It's going to be solved in the battlefield of capitalism. For sure. Absolutely. And that's what's happened. That's what's makes this moment so interesting but i guess the other question is you know that idea do you buy this idea that you know tech is scale tech is everything therefore it is more fair game and it it must be held to account in a way that it previously wasn't and that part of this is a reaction to that i think that consumers are going to roll their own journalism and they don't trust journalists now according to the statistics and reporting and so what they're going to want to do is hear directly from the founders of those companies, the investors in those companies, the employees at those companies, and from journalists, and then try to triangulate the truth. So I think we're moving into a roll your own truth. Um, and if you look at the pandemic, taking tech out of it for a second and just looking at the science of that, yeah. you had the WHO giving bad information and they were you know, perhaps in the pockets of the Chinese who were funding a portion of it. You had Dr. Fauci saying, don't wear masks and they might not work and then change its position. The mask thing was bad. The mask thing was that bad. Was bad. Yeah. So that was bad. So now you have scientists and organizations and government lying to us. And Is that lying though or is it just getting, getting it wrong? It could be both. Um, it know. could be both. And, th- and now here we are in the search for truth where we could really mm. use journalists. And I think what's going to happen is people are going to roll their own. They're going to find scientists and they're going to find business leaders and investors and journalists and organizations, and they're going to just whip through the data and try and figure it out themselves. I mean, look, the way we vilify people, if you were to say, I wonder if herd immunity is a viable option, Mm -hmm. you would get attacked from one side that says, you're not a scientist. And then you have this other crazy group of people saying, the the whole pandemic is a scamdemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fake news. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think people are starting to realize that they're going to have to roll their own truth and do their own research and not believe anybody <laughs> and just triangulate around the truth, which is what probably you and I are doing. Like, I don't yeah. know how you handled the pandemic, but I just started looking at the statistics myself. I started looking at mm-hmm. the details. I started reading about the science. And I think everybody's kind of coming to their own version of the truth and how much risk they want to take. And that's what's really fascinating. The kind of the, this death of shared truth feels quite unsettling and pretty dangerous. Oh, it's unsettling. Yeah. 
It was much better to live in a world where you just thought the journalists and the World Health Organization and scientists and everybody was telling the truth, right? Uh, and that you just trust them all. Yeah, that idea of like, you know, devious journalists, I just, I find, I just, I, I've never. I don't think I, there's, I don't think journalists are trying to trick anybody. I think that they are biased and they might not know their blind spots. Everybody's biased. Absolutely. I mean, the only, the only other thing is, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times is doing fabulously as a business. Seven and a half million subscribers or whatever it is now. Who has seven and a half? Uh, New York Times. Yeah, I mean, the New York Times is crushing it. I would hope that they get enough subscribers that they could have different voices in the publication without making people feel unsafe. Like, literally, they fired some writer because she said she felt joy when Biden showed up, and then they made Barry Weiss feel unwelcome. And just the whole thing of people not being able to tolerate an opinion that is on the opinion page. Yeah. Like, isn't the opinion page the one place you're supposed to be able to experiment with opinions? And even that is too controversial. It's so weird, isn't it? We're living in a super weird time. It's super weird It's time. super weird. Um, I think that's what we've come to. Yeah, exactly. Our scientific conclusion is that times are super weird. But just uh, lastly, I just want to kind of, to your point around understanding the subject, you feel as a subject of various articles that the quality of or the kind of the approach of people who write about you is fundamentally worse than it used to be. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's just not fact checking now. And I don't even get called. I used to get called. Anytime you were mentioned in a major publication, yeah. you would at least get a courtesy call. Yeah. And I would say nine out of 10 times, I don't get that now. So just that one indicator from 20 years ago to today, and it's just a matter of resources. I think if there were more resources and more time, people would do it. But I just don't think they have the resources. Interesting. Like I have an alert on my last name, which only like 15 people in the world have my immediate family and my brothers and stuff. And I get mentioned, you know, 10 times a week in stories and nine times I didn't even know I was going to be mentioned. And yeah. I would say half the time it's accurate, something like that. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or maybe does it represent my opinion or maybe I changed my mind or maybe it's nuanced. And I think this is why people are going to podcasting. You and I can have this conversation here in a very nuanced way or on clubhouse there's nuance because we're talking yeah and we can admit that neither of us have the answers but we're both interested and concerned about the issue and it seems quite reasonable right anybody listening to this is going to say you know what jason made some good points danny made some good points yeah this is something we should pay attention to nobody's going to say like cancel danny cancel jason yeah maybe they'll cancel me but uh <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I do think it's a moving target uh and you know wait and see what happens but uh, a lot of the top journalists are now going to become freelancers yeah. and go to the highest bidder. And you're already starting to see that. Like Ezra Klein and Kara Swisher just left Vox to go to New York Times. So obviously they got outbid. Yeah. And then the New York Times also stole the guy Ben Thompson. Is that his name? Ben? No, not Ben Thompson. Ben, uh, ben Smith. Ben Smith, rather. Ben Thompson's a strategy. Nobody yeah. can get him. So I think that's what you're going to see is these free agents who have these huge social media followings. And they're like, okay, you know, best offer from Vox is 400000 Best offer from New York Times is seven fifty. I'll take the seven fifty, and they're going to just be represented by CAA or WME, and you know they become their own little celebrities, and then everybody else is a plebe, you know. Yeah. Respectfully, like it's just going to be like, yeah, you know, whatever. You're you guys are all the rest of y'all are just you know we can plug you in and out of the system, but we need to have some headliners here. Um. Lastly, on that point, Clubhouse. Do you think this is a thing? Do you think this is the next big social media? app? I think there'll be 20 of these. My experience is the first one up the hill sometimes takes the arrows. Yep. Uh, so, you know, 
Facebook was the 15th social yeah. network. We yeah, had yeah. friends through MySpace and a bunch of other ones that you don't remember because they shut down. And a lot of those were really interesting and had the features and then Facebook ran away with it and then Instagram and Twitter. So there'll be 10 of these. I think there'll be one for business, one for sports. There'll be one that's corporate. We had one of our companies, Capiche, pivot into this. So they got rid of their existing model and went into this. It's called Capiche.fm. Mm. And they're doing it with phones and you know, the web and mobile, but you own your emails and you own the phone numbers. So it's kind of like more like a WordPress, like they're yeah. going to empower people to own their lists. Yeah, yeah. And they also publish to an RSS feed. So it's, you keep the files and you own your users. So that's distinctly different than Clubhouse, which would be more like they own the users. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they could kick you off at any time and you lose everything, a la Trump, like we saw. So there'll be many different versions of this, I think. And we'll see who the winner is. People love podcasts because of nuance and they're going to love these discussions because it allows everybody to be a podcaster. So it's sort of like what Twitter was to blogging, casual audio is to podcasting, if that makes sense. They're like a casual audio gold rush right now. I don't know if it's even a gold rush. I think it's just going to be a lot of engagement. It's going to be interesting to see how it monetizes. There's like three or four different models here and I think they're all going to be very interesting. For me... I do it as like a little way to do something in between my podcast episodes or maybe even workshop stuff Mm. where I want to talk about something and maybe get some feedback. So I did one last night on all these coaching scams. So these like (laughs) multi-level marketing people are coaching people for $10,000 and then they're teaching you to coach other people for $10,000. You're a coach coach. And it's like, you're a coach coach to create your course. (laughs) And everybody's creating courses about coaching and 100x and you know make money while you sleep and yeah yeah all this kind of weirdness drop shipping stuff it's it's really like a rabbit hole of smirminess but anyway i just popped up a room to talk about it and thousand people are in the room and then i gave it to my inside team and i was like okay make this into a story and then my inside team is now popping up stuff to talk about specific companies and then invite the uh, ceos on and then they can make that into a newsletter right so i see it as like this very uh loose uh, way to just start stuff. But I think actually Twitter is going to be the biggest in the space. So I don't know if you play with Twitter's version of it. I haven't played with it yet. Twitter's going to be much bigger than Clubhouse, I think. You think so? I think this will make Twitter 10 times bigger. Really? In terms of usage. It may not be on user count, but in terms of yeah. usage. Yeah, I think Twitter wins the day because you and I have huge followings. I have 20,000 people on Clubhouse and whatever, 300,000 or 400,000 yeah. on Twitter. And everybody's on Twitter and of course you're on Clubhouse. But the ability to have tweets and the content put together. And then Twitter's mm. coming out with a paid version and Twitter is going to come out with tipping. So I don't know if you've been watching YouTube, but you can subscribe to YouTube channels now yeah. and get premium content. Yeah, yeah. So what you and I are going to be able to do is we'll be able to make our tweets paid and you could have a pro account and I could be having one set of discussions with everybody, but maybe every third tweet would be for subscribers. Yeah. And that's going to be incredible. And and even- So like, here, here, here guys, let's come behind the velvet rope here. Let, let's talk about the real-ish. Yeah, I mean, if you're Kevin yeah. Hart, right, a comedian, and you jump on Twitter once in a while and don't make any money and it takes all your time, what if you popped on it and you could have people subscribe to your Twitter handle and you had 10,000 paid subscribers for $10 a month and you're making $1.2 million a year for talking on Twitter for yeah. an hour or two a month on a audio channel? I think that's going to be super compelling. So you, have you watched the OnlyFans? Like, I have not. OnlyFans has become a huge phenomenon yeah. for adult yeah, yeah. Uh, content mostly, but there are people doing non-adult content on there as well. And so this is going to be really interesting. If you are a fan of Kevin Durant 
or Bob Dylan or I, I pick a, a you know Kim yeah. Kardashian or whatever, they're going to be able to do their own paid stuff, and it'll be like fan clubs and you know whatever they keep twenty percent of their content or eighty percent of the content behind a paywall, and it's instant like that. It's going to be amazing 2.0 of social networks, but I think Twitter is going to be clubhouse in terms of minutes listened. hundred percent. Well, it'd be interesting. I mean, obviously Andreessen's going all in on it. It feels like they're using it as a workshop for their media operation, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, and they're blocking journalists. So this yeah. is how like, I mean, Mark Andreessen was blocking me yeah, yeah. and we share deal flow. So blocking me is like <laughs> blocking the point guard on the basketball team. It's so dumb. Yeah. But he's, he's a, he's a, a unique person. He is. Uh, he's a unique bird, but <laughs> He blocked a bunch of journalists. So then he's got, you know, Elon Musk or Vlad from Robin Hood and they're in this hole. No one can listen. And no one can listen. Um, like all good podcasts, I now have to go end this to pick up my child at daycare. All right. Next time we'll talk about Robin Hood. I know. Well, that was, that was on the list. But, you know, as ever. When it's going to be okay. There's no grand conspiracy. They almost got caught in a cash crunch, it seems. Yeah. $3.4 billion raised. It feels like. In five days. And yeah. people are saying there's going to be an IPO in the first half of the year. So I don't have any inside information. But, of course uh, not. Of course not. I am uh, an angel investor. Yum, yum. And so <laughs> I think it's going to work out okay. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's been great. The education they've given to everybody is really magical. Like young people being able to trade stocks and understanding how all this works is great. And I just hope people only invest slash bet what they can afford to lose and if you're buying disney and holding it for 10 years great if you're buying options yeah but that's the education they need to do it's so gamified it doesn't all feel real and obviously there's the case the kid who committed suicide etc like you need to kind of really you you gotta be careful with the suicide angle because you know the suicide rate in the united states is like one in some number and you can look it up and for young people it's pretty high uh, for people in college, it's the highest. Mm-hmm. And among men, it's the highest. And so any service that hits scale, whether it's Reddit or Gmail or Zoom, is going to have a suicide related or around that product. And it's very hard to, to put cause and causation. If there is a cause, then it's valid. But it might also be just the law of big numbers, like a certain number of DoorDash drivers, Postmate drivers, Uber Eats drivers, there's going to be an accident. Somebody's going to tragically die. So you have to make sure you're not vilifying the tech no, I think I think they need to do a better job of being like the stakes are real here because I think that guy had like hundreds of thousands of debt and from from memory kind of cited as like a reason. Yeah, and this one we probably should wait until we see all the information because what I've learned and having been through this many times mm. with companies that hit scale and, and you, you look at Tesla with autopilot, it's like, oh my God, autopilot doesn't work. And it's like the person was watching Harry Potter and has seat reclined 90 degrees. Like when that person died, tragically, they were watching Harry Potter and their seat was declined. Other people are getting out of their seat and putting a clamp on their steering wheel to subvert the safeguards of the autopilot. Well, if somebody jumps on the top of their motorcycle and does a a ghost ride, which people do all the time on YouTube, there's a million videos of this, you don't blame Yamaha, but we do blame new technology for these debts because yeah it, and it this is, is why uh, we need journalists to hold and this these is why we companies need journalism to, to account that <laughs> exactly all right danny all right good uh, to see you. let's get your follow account up everybody follow danny on twitter exactly thank you man <laughs> talk to you later get your book deal <laughs> exactly and that is all the time we have i want to thank jason for taking the time i want to thank you for listening i'd be interested to know what you think um email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk or just find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. Obviously, my position is pretty clear. I think the tech industry needs to grow up, stop being a bunch of crybabies. They are the biggest, baddest industry around. 
they're getting way more scrutiny than they used to, and they should. That's the whole function of journalism. But um, obviously, the industry is kind of uniquely placed to kind of push back on that. And it's really going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. So that is it for me this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Take the time to give a rating and review. As I say, it always helps other people find the show. And that is it. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, rugby union referee Nigel Owens talks candidly about coming to terms with his sexuality, the impact it had on his mental health, and having tried to take his own life at 24, how rugby eventually saved him. People say, you know, you should never look back, always look forward. Well, looking back is important as well because looking back and help you move forward past imperfect with rachel sylvester and alice thompson nigel owens in his own words now available as a podcast listen on the times radio app or wherever you get your podcasts hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.